The greatest problem in our world is not what's wrong in politics. It's not that we just don't love each other enough. It's not that we don't have enough freedom or independence. The greatest problem in the world is not that we don't have enough money or resources. The greatest problem in the world is not some international threat or environmental threat. The greatest problem in the world is not that people just aren't educated enough or that we don't have good enough technology. None of those are the root issue. Many of them are symptoms, but none of them are the disease. The greatest problem in the world, brothers and sisters, is sin. That's what God tells us, and it's true. It's sin that infects the human heart, human hearts all over the world. And it's not just that we do bad, but we are broken, we're corrupt. We have this anti-God thing going on inside of our heart. Sin is the root, all else is just the branches. Sin is the greatest problem in our world. But we can say it another way too. The greatest problem in the world is sin, but it's not just that something negative exists now in sin, but it's also that we're missing something positive. We have been separated from the one who made us, separated from the one who knows us best, who knows what's best for us, the one who loves us, separated from our God. Every human on the planet, we were made to know him and then show him into the world. To know him and then show forth his beauty and his joy and his love as we live life. But once sin came in, we became broken and corrupt and we were separated from God and that relationship was torn. And so now all our knowing and showing got all messed up. And so the greatest problem in the world is sin and how it separates us from our God. The good news is that already even in John chapter 1, we have the solution to these cosmic issues. A few weeks ago, if you were here, we saw in John chapter 1 verse 29 that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Sin is the greatest cosmic issue, and Jesus has come to deal with it. For those who know him, they are not only forgiven, but sin has lost its power, and one day he's going to come back and wipe the world clean of it. But what about our separation from God? What about that gap that's been created between God and us? How can that be mended? And that brings us to our text. So Pastor Chris last week covered up through verse 46. Just a reminder, and we read a little bit in our scripture reading, but just a reminder, what's happening here is Jesus is calling disciples. He calls this man Philip, and then Philip goes and finds his friend Nathaniel. And verse 46 was about Nathaniel saying this question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip ends verse 46 with saying, come and see. Come and see, and it's an invitation to us all. So now we're going to pick up there, and we're going to cover from verse 47 to the end of the chapter. And what we're going to have here is Jesus' conversation with Nathaniel. So if you want to look down with me, we're going to read just verse 47 to start to see how Jesus starts off the conversation. John 1, verse 47. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, 
an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. We'll stop there because that's strange. That's a strange declaration. He says, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. What could that mean? Well, it seems that it's connecting back to Nathanael's question in the previous verse, which apparently Jesus knew about. And Nathanael was honest there. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And as Pastor Chris covered last week, this is a legitimate question. Nazareth was not the sort of place that they expected the Messiah to come from. So Jesus says this, sees this and says of this Nathanael, Behold, there's somebody with no deceit. He's affirming this type of questioning. That Nathanael's not being hypocritical. That Nathanael's not deceiving himself like the Pharisees. He's being honest about his questions. Let me just stop there, there and apply that, right? This is exciting, brothers and sisters. That strange verse is actually quite exciting for us. Our God right there commends honest questioning and digging. As many of you know, I, am the, I lead the youth here at the church, and in the youth room we have this box. It's called an Ask Anything box, and it's, the, it's where the youth can fill out a card and put any question at all. And one of the reasons that box exists is verses like this where our God, Jesus, commends honest questioning. It's a good thing to dig in, to ask, to come and see, to see who our God is, to ask questions. And here's the encouraging part. He can handle them. And when we ask questions and dig, we might find that we'll worship Jesus more than we just did. And that's what happens in this stories we'll see so let's pick back up in the story so Jesus says that of Nathaniel now we're going to read verse 48 Nathaniel said to him how do you know me Jesus answered him before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree I saw you I'll stop there and so Nathaniel says how do you know me once again it's a good question he's being honest how how can Jesus claim to know something about this man he's never met And Jesus responds with a miraculous showing of who he truly is. It says, Nathaniel, before Philip even called you, when you were underneath the fig tree, I saw you. And this is something he couldn't have known unless he's no mere man. What Jesus does here is he shows forth clearly his power. Specifically, he shows forth that he's two things, that he's all-knowing, he's omniscient, right? He knew something of Nathaniel. He knew of this question. But then amazingly, the Son of God here shows forth his omnipresence that is everywhere. This is hard for us to grasp. He's the second person in the Trinity. But we know that because he doesn't just say, I knew you were underneath the fig tree. You notice that? He says, when you were underneath the fig tree, I saw you. That's insane. So we should stop here a second and say, okay, who is this? This man who knows all things, who's omnipresent, who is this? See what Nathaniel says, verse 49, if you want to look down at me. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And so apparently this power convinced Nathaniel that this indeed is the Messiah. This is the Son of God, the King of Israel. Both are messianic terms. They're both terms that pointed to the awaited Messiah, the awaited King. So some of our conversation thus far, Nathaniel comes digging He comes to Jesus. Jesus says, you have no deceit. He says, how do you know me? Jesus proves his power. Nathaniel believes. But what's fascinating is it doesn't end there. 
It could have. That'd be a great place to end John chapter 1, verse 49. You are the Son of God, the King of Israel, end of story. But the conversation doesn't end there because Jesus doesn't want it to. Jesus doesn't want it to. So now let's read verses 50 and 51 to see Jesus' response. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Nathaniel's amazed at Jesus' supernatural powers. But essentially what Jesus says here in verse 50 is, you, you think that's great? There's something way greater. And so what is it? Verse 51. Verse 51, we'll land here for a little time. Thus far in the Gospel of John, right, we have seen that Jesus is the Word, that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Lord, that Jesus is the Lamb, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Israel. But here in verse 51, there's another thing that Jesus wants to get across about himself. Now, let's be honest, it's something that might not mean much to us at first, but it's quite bold. And Jesus says here that he's Jacob's ladder. That he's Jacob's ladder. Again, that might not mean much to us, we'll dig into it in a second, but Jesus wants to get that clear to us. You can notice he, he starts off and he introduces this with three qualifiers, three things to build this up. The first, you notice in verse 50, he says that you will see greater things. So this is something that's really great. And then he starts off the saying in verse 51 with truly, truly. And he says that when he wants to get across it. This is something that's really true. This is something that's important. Then he says, you will see heaven opened. And the idea of heaven opening in the Bible is something where we get to see true reality. We get to see things from God's point of view. So this is something that's that's really great, that's true, that's reality. And so what is it? The angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What is that, right? What what is he getting at there? I I want you to see it for yourself. So if you could, with your Bible, turn with me to Genesis 28. Genesis 28 is going to be on page 27, very early on in your Bible. Genesis 28. And the reason I think it's important for us to take the time to go here is because those listening to Jesus at the time and those, I think, reading the Gospel of John early on would have known this reference. Jesus is clearly referencing something, so it's helpful for us to see it. So in Genesis 28, and this is Genesis, the first, the first book of the Bible, this is, the, this is a story of Jacob. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. And just remember the phrase that Jesus said. He said, you will see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So with that, we're going to start at verse 10 and just read verses 10 through 14. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring." 
Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Jacob falls asleep. He dreams and he sees a ladder between heaven and earth. And we see in verse 13 there that God is above the ladder and Jacob and the earth are below. And the angels of God are going up and down, ascending and descending on the ladder. And the angels represent God's messengers. So this is how God communicates with humanity. So then God speaks and he covenants to Jacob and he promises and promise that's going to bless the entire earth. But here's a question, even if you're just reading Genesis. Why is there a ladder? God could have just spoken and promised these blessings like he does to many other people in the Old Testament. So why is there a ladder? Well, clearly, even in Genesis, it's there to show some sort of separation between heaven and earth, between God and humanity. And this is where Jesus comes in. And this is why it's amazing and bold. He's clear. He's that ladder. Genesis 28, 12, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Jesus says that's him. He's the one who connects heaven and earth. He's the one who restores the relationship, the broken relationship between God and humanity. He's the one who makes God's promises of blessings that are going to go to all the earth possible. He's the one with the angels of God going up and down him, which means that God communicates through Jesus. He's the ladder. That's incredible. So turn back with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Page 1054 in the Blue Bible. And that's how John chapter 1 ends. Jesus essentially says to Nathaniel, you want to see something great, true, real, Nathaniel? You know that story of your forefather Jacob? And how he dreamed and he saw a ladder between heaven and earth connecting God and mankind. I am that ladder. I connect heaven and earth. I restore the relationship between God and man. And you might have noticed, remember in verse 49, Nathaniel says rightly, Jesus, you are the son of God. That's correct. He's right. He is the son of God. But then in verse 51, I don't think this is accidental, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. There's no coincidence there. This is brilliant to what Jesus does here. Nathaniel says, you are the Son of God, and essentially Jesus says, yes, I am the Son of God. But then he adds something else by saying the Son of Man. He's essentially saying, yes, Nathaniel, I am the King, but there's something else. I am the one who bridges the gap between God and humanity. I am Jacob's ladder, the son of God and the son of man. Love that. It's incredible. So what does that mean for us today? Let me tell you why I think you should marvel. Brothers and sisters, this is our hope. This is our hope. And if you don't have this ladder, you are without hope. You need this ladder. As we said said earlier, this is why we're so messed up. This is why the world's so messed up. There's, There's sin and we've been separated from God. And Jesus is the Lamb of God who can forgive sin and is going to wipe it away. 
And he's the ladder who reconciles us back. This is the Jesus you and I need. This is the Jesus the whole world needs. He is the solution. Maybe you're here and you're recognizing that other solutions aren't working. Politics and politicians promise peace that never really happens. Money promises happiness to solve the problems that never really comes. Success promises satisfaction that doesn't really satisfy. You know these things don't fix the problem. And so here's what I love. Jesus comes and he's honest. He says, you want to know? Come and see. Come and see. And he says, it's sin that's causing all this. Your sin, my sin, the world's sin, but it's sin, and we need him as the lamb. He says, come and see, come and see. You want to know what's going on? It's that you've been separated from God. We've been separated from God apart from Christ, and we need him as the latter. And so I think this paragraph ends here. This chapter ends here. The conversation ends here because it's supposed to close on such a note. We're supposed to have a reminder about who we are apart from Christ. We're people separated from God. There's a gap caused by our sin, and we need a way back. So I encourage you, trust this Jesus. Trust this lamb, this ladder who can bring you back to God. So that's verse 51. The point is very clear. Jesus is the ladder. He connects God and sinful mankind But just to be clear, just to be clear, because this could be misunderstood with that analogy, just because Jesus is the ladder, we need to get this, just because Jesus is the ladder does not mean that you need to climb it. The point is not, use Jesus the ladder to climb your way back up to God. That is not the point. He is the ladder. He is, as he'll say later in John, he is the way. It's important. When he says things like that, he isn't just saying that he guides us to the right way or he guides us to the ladder. He's saying he is those things. In other words, you don't need to climb the ladder. You don't need to walk in the perfect way. You need Jesus. We need him. We need to trust him. Him. That's what verse 51 is all about. But that is not, I think, all the text has to offer us. That's the most obvious thing Jesus is getting to. It's very important. He is the ladder. But as I was studying this, I was struck and fascinated by another thing, and that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time on. And it's how Jesus converses and sets this conversation up with Nathaniel. And here's what I mean Jesus was a master teacher. He was very skilled. I encourage you to read the gospel, see how he taught, and he knew what he was doing. And being the God-man, we believe that he was able to guide and set up conversations however he wanted, and I think you can see that he did that here. Because notice, it's not that Jesus just wanted to get across two truths about himself. He could have done that. The first truth being, okay, his power, his, his omnipresence and omniscience that he's everywhere and all-knowing. And the second truth being he's the latter. Those are two truths. He could have just said, Nathaniel, look at my power. Nathaniel, I am the latter. But he didn't do that. Instead, he set the whole conversation up in a way so that one truth is seen as way more important 
than another. You see that in the text? See how he did it. Look how he set the conversation up. In verse 47, he makes this strange comment to Nathaniel, which forces Nathaniel to ask, well, how do you know me? Which allows Jesus to show his power, which allows Nathaniel to praise him, but that then allows Jesus to make his great point. That power actually isn't that great. That there's something greater. That he's the latter. In other words, Jesus wants to show us, do you think power, God's power and miracles are that great? There's something way greater. I bring you back to God. And that's why I think verse 50 actually is quite significant. I think what we have to take away from this paragraph is Jesus wants us to see how much greater the gospel is than any mere act of God's power, even Jesus' own power. The gospel is the good news that Jesus came to solve this problem of our sin and our separation from God by coming, dying, and rising. And that's greater than any display of mere power. I think he did a mini miracle in Nathaniel to get that across. You can see that in the conversation. And notice these important words he uses to show it. These are words that apply to us because he says, Nathaniel sees Jesus' revealed power, but then Jesus says that you will see greater things. Greater things are coming, Nathaniel. And when he says that, he's not referring to some miracle or some healing that he's going to do during his ministry. He's referring to the gospel. The gospel is the greatest thing. But not only that, Nathaniel believes, right? He says this, verse 49, this amazing declaration because of Jesus' power. But Jesus says essentially in verse 50, is that why you believe, Nathaniel? There's something that sparks way more belief, way more faith, way more trust in God, and it's the gospel. That Jesus bridges the gap between God and sinful man. I think it's, it's good to land here for a little bit because it's quite helpful for us. We need to see Jesus' logic to get it, but it's important because, let's be honest, see, even those of us here who believe in Jesus, who believe that Jesus is God and believe in this gospel, sometimes think, that what would really be the greatest thing in our world or in my life would be if God were to do a clear miracle. If he were to heal me or heal my friend or if he did some miracle in the world or in Washington or some miracle in my family, we think that would be the greatest thing. Or we think that it would be the greatest thing if God were to show his power in a clear way in my life. If you were to give me that, that great job or give me better grades or help me financially, that that would be the greatest thing. And Jesus is just saying to us here, no. No. He loves us and he says to us, no, that's actually not the greatest. The greatest thing for your life, for this world, is the gospel. That Jesus reconciles the relationship between God and mankind. Or we might think, that would make, what would make us believe more in God, have more faith more in God, were to see God do a miracle. Or if, he were to, or if he were to heal, or if he were to do something powerful in my life, that that would really help my faith. And again, Jesus is saying here, no. The thing that will spark the most belief in God is not miracles or power that he can do for us in this life, but it's this gospel 
that Jesus is the lamb for sin, that he's the ladder who reconciles us back to God. And so I think we need to hear that. I need to hear that. This means that the most glorious and amazing thing is not that God can manipulate nature in healings or displays of power. The most amazing thing is this gospel of grace. I mean, he could. He made this world. He upholds it every single moment. But the greatest thing is the gospel of grace and the fact that he became a man and died and rose again forever for our joy that we could be with him. What are miracles in comparison to that? What is power, brothers and sisters, in comparison to grace? In getting what you could never deserve. And so that's the point of verse 50. God is glorified not mainly in displays of power, or miracles, but in the gospel of grace. And to bring it even home closer, your faith is not mainly helped by seeing displays of God's power or miracles. Your faith is helped by staring at the gospel of grace. And so three brief applications for this, just three brief applications. First, don't get caught up in power or miracles. Don't get caught up and just God's display of power or miracles. I know it's hard for us to hear because once again, we think that that would be the greatest thing or that would help our faith the most, but it's not true. We're not people all about God's power or miracles. We're people all about the gospel. And that's what Jesus is getting across to Nathaniel here. Let me just say, lovingly, let me just say, if you are here and you're way more excited about God's miracles or power more you could do for your life than this gospel. And you've got it backwards. And honestly, you might not be a Christian. Miracles can cause awe, and God does them. God does do healings, and absolutely, we should pray for them. And God does provide providentially for us. It shows his care. But what is all that compared to getting God? What is something so temporary compared to something eternal? What is something so finite compared to getting someone infinite? So let's not get caught up in power. Second, don't think that others would believe if only God were to do miracles or show his power. Again, Jesus is clearly saying here that miracles or displays of God's power are nothing in comparison. What's way truer, what's way more worthy of trust is this gospel. This is a theme that we're going to see continues throughout the gospel of John. Many people follow Jesus. They're even told sometimes to believe in Jesus, but mainly because they saw his miracles. They liked watching his power. They liked eating his bread. But then many fall away. Why? Because they never really loved Jesus. And as Jesus says here, the greatest appeal to people is not displays of God's power or displays of miracle, it's Him. So realize that when you're sharing the gospel, Jesus is what people need, He's the most appealing part of the gospel. And then, third, third. Be all about the gospel. Be all about the gospel. We're not mainly about miracles or what God can do for us. Or honestly, our faith is not mainly about what God can even do through us. 
in this short life. We will pass. We are mainly about the gospel. Other religions have been about what God can do for us or his power. Been many religions like that in human history. And remember, in the Exodus story, the Egyptian magicians could do miracles. There's other spirits in the world. Our God is not mainly about just displaying his power or miracles. Instead, the most glorious, amazing, true thing that God has ever done is accomplish this gospel. So do you want to know God more? Do you want to be more amazed at God more? Do you want to have more faith in God? Daily focus on what Jesus has done for you and how it impacts you today and for billions of years to come. This will be the greatest benefit to your life and to your faith, not miracles or displays of God's power. I mean, have you ever wondered? Have you ever wondered why God does so few miracles or clear displays of his power today? I don't think biblically it's mainly because of our lack of faith. I think Jesus is teaching us, verse 50, every single day, that the gospel is greater, that we may think that displays of God's power or miracles would be best for us. But he's teaching us we as the church have something way greater, way truer, way more trustworthy, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're gospel people. So let's think, let's pray, let's worship accordingly. So that's what Jesus is teaching Nathaniel and I believe he's teaching us. He is God. He can do miracles. He does do miracles. He can display his power, but they're not that great. They're not that great. We don't need them. What's greater is the gospel. What's temporary healing in comparison to everlasting healing? What's God doing something for you temporarily compared to you being on God's side forever? The good news is not that God can manipulate nature. The good news is the gospel, that we're broken, but there's a way back. There's a ladder that the Son of God, the Son of Man came. He lived a perfect life. He died in the place of those who trust him. He rose from the grave. He's going to come back. He's going to wipe away sin forever, and we're going to live with him forever in joy. What are mere miracles in comparison to that? This is good news, brothers and sisters. This is good news. Jesus is better than all else. So let's have our lives be about worshiping, loving, and clinging to this ladder, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. King Jesus, we are so thankful for that gospel. Oh, may you stir our hearts right now to see the glory of what you've done, the glory of the gospel that we will praise not only here this morning, but forever and ever. Jesus, help us know that you do love us, that you do care what's going on in our lives, but help us also to see that you've accomplished this gospel for us, which impacts us now and unto eternity. So help us to trust you, Jesus. Trust you as our lamb. Trust you as our ladder and love you and cling to you. And Jesus, I just pray right now for anybody in this room this morning who does not know you, who has not trusted you. 
Help them to see, King Jesus, that you are better than anything the world can offer, that your gospel is the news they have been looking for. And so, Jesus, help them right now to know that they can just trust you, even in their seat at this very moment. They can trust you. Help them to do that, Jesus. And for us, your church, Christ, those whom you have redeemed, help us to daily look at you, help us to live for your glory, and help us to know that your gospel is greater than anything this world can give us. We love you, King Jesus. Help us love you and trust you more. It's in your good and wonderful name we pray. Amen. Let's now rise and respond in worship.